0: Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to another Serious Angler podcast. I am your host, Bailey Eichbrecht, and uh, if you're watching today's show, you notice uh, Andrew is not with me today. Instead, I have the pleasure of being joined by our good buddy, Mr. Adam Deacon, from the Business from the Bass Boat podcast. What's going on, dude? Not much, man. I'm
1: glad to be here to fill in for the working man, I guess, so that's what we're doing.
0: Heck <laughs> like, yeah, man. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, we had you on with uh, Queen Tackle. We had on um, KJ and Jeff, and that, that was a good one. So we're glad to actually obviously have you here, and hopefully your GoPro Nine holds up for us today. It was like uh looked like you were <laughs> jamming out <laughs> offline here with that GoPro uh, hooked up.
1: Yeah, the thing's been glitching like crazy. I think uh, I think it's just. New technology meeting old technology with an, an old Mac that runs great, but yeah, I don't know what's going on. We had some technical issues, but hopefully uh, it holds through for the interview.
0: Right. Yeah, I think we're, we're so far so good. I think uh, I don't think the viewers are going to care much if you're dancing in the background. So I think we'll be <laughs> all right. We can hear you crystal, crystal clear. But sweet, Good. talk to me a little bit before we have on Mr. Matt Airy today uh, about you know what's been up with you and, and your show because I know you've been revamping some things uh, from the uh, the business from the bass boat side of things so tell us a little about it
1: yeah i know uh it's it's been awesome i've got some great shows lined up have had some awesome interviews especially here at uh, the beginning of 2021 um again kind of that just trying to be different right with everything in the in the fishing industry especially but it's it's more geared towards folks interested in the industry itself and how some of those businesses got founded so mm-hmm. Um, I've had some awesome shows most recently that that uh, released today was Sea Clear Power with Nathan Martin. Awesome. Uh, that's the wiring harness system that's universal with all kinds of boats now and can can take on all the electronics, you know, three, four, five, six graphs. Uh, it's incredible uh, how he kind of founded that and, and came up with that. Uh, I guess I would call it a uh, wiring harness and mm-hmm. Man, just it's just really cool story on, on how Nathan did that and just so busy with that. So that's been a lot of fun is is hearing about these kind of niche products and things. And that's kind of my my uh side passion to the fishing for sure. And so it's been it's been a good show so far. And I'm ready to start tournament fishing here,
0: uh March. Heck yeah. Dude, that that whole wiring electronics deal, like thank, thank God for people like that that understand <laughs> how it works, because that is like rocket science to me.
1: Dude, yeah, and it's uh I I Went with Garmin last year, so I threw uh brand new garments on the boat uh last winter. And dude, that was such a learning curve and such a learning process for me. And I wish I would have bought a wiring harness uh right away. It was there, you know, they're like 150, 200 bucks, like the sea clear power, and it would have saved me so much time. But I learned a lot, and I, I feel comfortable to where I could do it again, but I don't know if I'd want to. Let's put it
0: that way, leave to somebody who can, who can do it with a snap of a finger, pretty good. yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. Well, dude, today's episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're having on Mr. Matt Airy, uh, former FLW, now current, uh, Bassmaster Elite Series angler and we're going to talk about a few different things. Obviously, we, you know, one thing that we discussed offline was, you know, his top 10s are almost all over the place, right? g I mean, Gville, St. Johns, Eufaula did well up the St. Uh, St. Lawrence River. So, we're going to be talking about, you know, what common denominators there and talking shallow fishing and Obviously, his podcast with Brian Thrifts, which I'm sure he's asked about all the time. But I'm curious about a, a couple different things. But it's gonna be it's gonna be a good show today. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Well, I think without further ado, we're gonna get him on here. Welcome, Mr. Matt Airy. What's going on, man? Oh, not much. How are you guys? Doing well. Yeah. Uh, how are things down in in uh, North Carolina, weather wise? Oh.
2: Today it's exceptionally warm. I think it's like 65 degrees outside, which go figure because the weatherman a few days ago were calling for 70 yesterday, which of course was the day I was out on the water. And yesterday it was, I think it might've hit 48, 49 with a little light rain and some wind. So, uh, <laughs> today was the day to be out there, but we had, a uh, um, we had some other things to get done this morning and, uh, had to get the kids taken care of and things like that. We were out breaking our new boat in our new 21, uh, Ranger, getting it ready for the Elite Series kickoff here
0: another week. Heck yeah, man! You got to be pretty excited for St. John's.
2: Yeah, that's uh, you know, it's always a lot of fun to kick off of the year in Florida, and and kind of thank goodness, right? Because there's other places that we could be in a potential blizzard or snowstorm. Now, there's potential foul weather in Florida. Don't get me wrong, but foul weather down there is like in the fifties. You know,
0: so,
2: <laughs> I can I can dig that. You know.
0: 50s down there everyone's all bundled up and 50s up here in New York where I'm at it's like we're in shorts and tank tops and we're partying (laughs) it's nice (laughs) I'm sure Adam you can kind of relate being out there in Colorado
1: yeah man no exactly it's it's uh, what I kind of relate the weather to Uh, similar to what you're used to it's like the perfect combination is wearing shorts and a hoodie in the morning you know <laughs> because, you're, because you're gonna be used to it being uh, warm uh, in the afternoon but we've got some snow on the ground here right now so that's kind of neat i guess it's been a mild winter until now so that's it's good to have a little bit of snow i don't mind winter too much anyway
0: yeah yeah i'm looking at my next three-day forecast up here and we have nine degrees 10 degrees and three degrees so it's <laughs> it's a tundra <laughs> i yeah no nah, at least on the plus side uh the little local private ponds by me that has a bunch of three to five pound largemouth will be frozen over. So I can finally, finally go ice fishing. Oh, we've, nice. had, that, we've had that weird two inch slush ice. No, it's weird. The dangerous but, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But finally able to go do some sort of fishing while we wait for a term season kick off. But Matt, before we get too deep in the podcast here, obviously you're new to the show. We're glad to have you. Um, talk to us a little bit about, how you got into bass fishing in the first place. That first time you caught your first bass, who got that passion installed in you?
2: You know, it's, it's kind of funny. I was fortunate enough to grow up on a small lake here in North Carolina um, called Moss Lake. Uh, it's only a couple thousand acres. It's about, we only live about 15 minutes from it now, but um, I had two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and of course my parents. And um, I, you know, I never, nobody in my family really fished it. it you know, when you have brothers or siblings, sometimes, you do the opposite of what they do just because. Right. <laughs> you, try, you try to pick up a hobby that they're not I mean, what, for whatever reason. You're always uh, you're always competing with. And of course, they were both brothers, so we were always competing against each other in different things. But um, no, it's it's just something I picked up at a very early age. And and like I said, we were blessed to be able to grow up on a small lake near the house here. Um, I mean, it's, is you know, when I was in elementary school, I remember coming home and trying to get my assignments done and jump in my paddle boat. Paddle boat was the first thing that I fished out. Of. It was a, a little bitty old blue. I think it was made by Pelican or somebody paddle boat. And, uh, I used to put water. I had put my life jacket on and I'd go out and, and jump in that paddle boat when I was done with my homework and just paddle around the cove that we lived in until mom would holler and tell me it's time for dinner or whatever to come in. But I would take bucket a bucket with me and I'd dump water in the other side, the passenger side of the paddle boat. I'd dump water down there where the pedals were. Um, and that's where I would put on a good one. You know, I wanted mom to take a picture of it, right? So uh, <laughs> I'd throw it in the other side of the paddle boat, and we would uh, we paddle back to the dock and and get them to take a, a trophy you know. And um, oh, awesome. <laughs> back so we were we didn't have social media, so we were trying to I was trying to print the picture out or whatever we did with it, old Polaroid. That you know, with the y'all are probably a lot younger than me. But <laughs> I know. I know <laughs> you you picture out at the bottom when you actually take it. I don't even know what kind of camera those were, but. um yeah. So anyway, that was uh that's kind of how I got started. and I was just addicted at a very early age, not just to fishing but hunting too, and um, still a passion of mine. But now I I fish so I can hunt. You know, so hunting's hunting's uh passion, <laughs> really.
0: Right. Uh, now, completely off topic here, talking about the hunting stuff, um, Adam. I don't know how much you dabble with hunting out in Colorado, but do a lot. Your from, from what I know from, it's kind of tough when it comes to deer hunting for for getting sizable deer, at least. Am I wrong? Sizable deer, yeah. I mean, we, there's some very small areas in the state that have some,
2: some pretty good quality deer, but as far as numbers, we have plenty of deer and, uh, you know, we have a six deer limit every year, which is pretty generous. Comparatively speaking, yeah. to other states. we can kill two, up to two bucks uh, where I live. It's six deer across the state, but, um, and I think the statewide limit now is, is two buck maximum, but uh, we have a lot of deer, but yeah, it's really hard to, the biggest thing around here is we have a long rifle season in a lot of mm-hmm. parts of our state. And unfortunately that doesn't allow for a lot of the bucks to, to reach maturity because any deer, you know, the, the, the biggest thing for them to, to have a a big rack, like everybody likes, and and they they don't are lying most of the time, (laughs) but uh, they have to reach maturity. And I say four to five years old, and it's just hard. It's hard to find a deer around here that, that has a chance to get, to get
0: some age on him. Right. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, Talking about that timeline, right, growing up in, in North Carolina, when, you know, amongst your your fishing career, did you realize or did you really get into tournament fishing?
2: Yeah, so, you know, I'm I'm, I'm jealous of, and we had, I, I think y'all had KJ and, and his dad on and we had him on the podcast the other week and got to chit chat with him about the opportunities that these kids have. You know, I'm 39 and I, I didn't have any of those opportunities. I graduated from NC State in 2003 and they started their fishing club in 2003 And four, of course, the year out, and then it it snowballed from there. They they uh, they they have a huge club now. They don't get a lot of school support because they're a big Division one school, but um, a lot of these smaller colleges, I mean, it's it's pretty awesome that they have uh, they have the opportunities they have now. So back to your question, you know, when I was in high school, I, I started getting in some of the local bass clubs, which mostly consisted of you know older guys that you know had they they were long out of school, had full time jobs, and and a, a few of the guys took me under their wing and let me fish as a, a non voter in the clubs. And then um, I got an aluminum boat when I was in high school and was able to start doing some of the club tournaments as a voter. And um, I went to college, got my degree. And when I got out of college, I started competing. I guess 03 was the very first BFL I competed in was 2003. And then we just started working our way up through the ranks. I was uh, lucky to have a job uh, here locally that uh, that allowed me the time off. I worked at a boat dealership actually allowed me the time off to travel as needed and I could come home and, and work Monday through Saturday, you know, selling boats and, and doing some odd jobs for the dealership. Um, but I started fishing as a co angler on the FLW Tour in 2005 and 2006. Uh, and then um, from there, it just, uh, you know, the rest is history, I guess. But '07 was my rookie year uh, and then it then started picking up some steam from there and and you know spending more time on the water and getting a little bit more credibility and and you know performing a little bit better over the years obviously you have to you have to be able to get over a few uh, obstacles and my obstacle was my rookie year it was the biggest challenge and I and, I, and was I ready know I can look back and say absolutely I was not ready I mean that's uh you know you're you're going uh, you're going straight to the lines then when you jump in, in to a level head first with some of these guys and the talent now is is I mean, I'll venture to say the talent now is unmatched to anything in the history of our sport. And it's because of the availability of, you know, technology and the internet and the college fishing and the high school fishing and and these coming out of college, man, they're no joke. I mean, you look at some of the guys on the elites and the Patrick Walters and, you know, I mean, those guys are, those guys are hammers and they know everything there is to know about the technical side of fishing too.
0: Right. Sure.
1: No, and, and I guess talk a little bit about how, you know, I didn't know, or I guess I, I may have heard that you had spent a lot of time as a co uh, on the FLW Tour, and right now we don't have that opportunity from the Co-Angler standpoint on the, on the Tour or the Elites, but there's still that opportunity in the Opens or the uh, the Toyota Series. You know, what are your thoughts now as a, as a Co-Angler? Is there still a good amount of opportunity there, and, and did that help you advance quicker?
2: it absolutely did you know it really opened my eyes my biggest challenge and anybody's biggest challenge and i get this question all the time is is being able to see the diversity of fisheries that our country has to offer because we can all get tunnel vision on the lakes that are close by you know, because we, and we get to fishing on the, on history and these, this brush pile we've called them out of for 10 years. And this point that's always been good. And that's fine, great and dandy, but you haven't been to Okeechobee and punched heisen mats with a two ounce punch weight and cold front conditions. And then you hadn't been over here to an Ozark Lake fishing bluff ends with a jerk bait when it's 35 degrees outside. And, you know, so, so I think being as being a co is really, you know, you're not going out there trying to win every tournament. You got to go in there with the mindset of just, learning. And do you have to be a co-angler at the top tier to learn? Absolutely not. You can be a co-angler in a BFL. You can be a co-angler in a local club tournament. You can be a co-angler in a Bassmaster Open. Um, all kinds of opportunities out there still for co-anglers. And, and the thing about it is I'll tell everybody that you can learn something from everybody. I don't care if it's a new knot or what not to do or what, you know, I mean, it, it, you can learn something from every single person you ever get in the boat with. Just be open-minded about it.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's something I'm looking forward to. I'm doing, it's my first time ever. I did uh, the Fed and up here in New York as a co ang for the first time this past year, but I'm doing traveling the open with Destin to Marion this year. And that's something I'm really looking forward to just from a learning standpoint. And obviously every year is a learning year, but this year's like a learning year for me on steroids. It's just going to be trying to take in as much as possible. That's something I'm really looking forward to. Cause like you said, you can literally learn anything from, from anybody you get in the boat with. Um, but To kind of piggyback on what Adam asked, you know, how how a co-angler has helped you to skill-wise to be where you are today, um, would you attribute being from that that North Carolina, South Carolina area growing up that's helped you to become a a well-rounded angler? Because we had on uh, Joey Sabaga, whose episode actually dropped here today, and he's from North Carolina as well. And he said, you know, obviously there's a lot of these big names from the Carolinas that are obviously staples in their sport today but that there's a lot of guys in that local trail that have the skills to be these big names in the sport right now, but just don't want to. So that local trail is super competitive. Do you think that's helped with where you're at now?
2: Yeah. I mean, for sure. You know, I, I, you know, that goes back to talking about how you can get tunnel vision and, and there's guys that have been able to compete at a local level that never made it professionally and vice versa, you know, and, and, you know, I would say that the biggest thing is, is yeah, we're blessed to be in an area that has a, a pretty good diversity of the lakes. You know, like what we were talking about before. the the, the one thing I don't really have quick access to is, is shallow grass lake, um, but and tidal rivers. You know, tidal rivers are kind of its own animal, so that's that's a whole different ball game. But to uh, to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I think there's guys in certain areas of the country. Uh, California is a good example. There's areas of California that have a lot of diversity, like the Cal Delta, and then you go to Clear Lake, and then you go to Shasta, and then you go. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities on the West Coast to to uh, to see a lot of different situations and scenarios. But um, Alabama's another one that comes to mind. A lot of different type lakes in Alabama, uh, multiple species of bass, to where you can you can hone your skills for because you're gonna. You know, if you want to fish at the top level, you better be able to catch them as far north as well. I mean, the Canadian border, basically, and as far south as the Florida, and then all the way to the West Coast and, and everywhere in between. So uh, the Carolinas is a good area, though to to help make you a, a versatile angler, and and there's a lot of opportunity here. I mean, Lake Norman's a perfect example. You can go out there and catch a 12 inch spotted bass on just about any 12 months out of the year. You know, I mean, right. it's not winning to win tournaments, and it's not going to be a big big fish necessarily, but you can practice and gain confidence in a lot of techniques. And there's a lot of opportunity there to really uh um to really expand your arsenal, so to speak. All
0: right, and that's one thing we talked about as well was how. You know, you take like that Carolina region, like in Alabama, and then take a certain region of California, and that's probably some of the best regions to grow up and develop as an angler with how diverse all the fisheries are. You have so many different things you can do.
2: Yep, I agree. Tennessee is a good one, too. Right. Um, there's, there's several out there that have a lot of opportunity um, to, to, like I said, to expand your arsenal and to become a better, well uh, more round, well-rounded angler.
0: Right. now uh, is, is the St. John's River, is that a tidal fishery? It is, yep. it is. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, sorry, go ahead.
2: No, you don't see as much fluctuation there. The further you go down, you know, past uh, George and down into Astor, and the further you go that way, you don't see quite as much fluctuation. But um, it, it definitely is a tidal river, and, and um, it, you know you have to take that in consideration when you're fishing tournaments down there.
0: Right, and that's and that's one thing I wanted to ask with you because, like, you know, you have St. John's the tidal fisher, you have. Gunnersville and that's the TVA and you have Eufaula and you have the St. Lawrence river. And these are all places where if you look at how you've done uh, in, in tournaments, you've all you've been successful, very successful at all these places. Is there a common denominator why you do so well in different areas?
2: <laughs> well, i have had my fair share of bad events at some of those places, <laughs> but you know, I, when I first started my career, my, my biggest goal, I mean, I, you know, I was never a, a Denny Brower or Tommy Biffle or somebody that was, just, or, you know, a KVD with the crankbait, you know, nothing like that. I, I always wanted to be, and those guys that make careers, KVD is obviously one of the most versatile anglers on the planet. Uh, otherwise, he wouldn't have a bunch of AOI titles. But then you look at some of the other guys that um, are really, really strong and confident with one specific technique. Uh, they won some events, and that's kind of where they made, their, they, they made their name, is winning major events, and they did that primarily with one technique, you know um you know my goal is was to make championships and I want to make every championship every year for my entire career you know because uh you know that's I wanted to make a living in this industry and man believe it or not you could win a tournament every year and not make a championship and and it still could be an uphill battle to make a living in this industry so um I wanted to be sure I was there at each and every championship whether it was Forestwood Cup or now the Bassmaster Classic since I'm Mm -hmm. over the Elite Series and to do that you know You had to be a a versatile angler so i always kind of try to keep myself as as well-rounded as possible um and 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 never be afraid Uh, you know i've gone out of my comfort zone and that goes back to fishing as a co-angler on the tour level you know i i wanted to experience tidal rivers i wanted to experience uh one of the great lakes i wanted to experience some of the florida lakes i wanted to see a little bit of everything and 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 always be as versatile and open-minded as i can to be uh you know to where i could consistently cash checks you know, not necessarily win tournaments, but, you know, if you're consistently cashing checks, you're, you'll are you have the opportunity to win tournaments uh, sooner than later, and, and you, you won't even know it and the, the opportunity will be there, and, and you didn't plan on winning and your practice wasn't that great, but you got on a strong pattern and you were open-minded and you were versatile, and all of a sudden you're in second place going into the final day, you know. So uh, yeah. I think just, just, yeah, just being well-rounded is is probably the biggest key to my consistency over the years, you know, and, and you know, always, always being able to adapt to any situation. You know, there's guys out there that say, "God, I hate Florida." And I'm not a huge fan of Florida myself. But <laughs> it was either adapt or or get your teeth kicked in. You know, because at this level, there's no in between. Like <laughs> you <laughs> try to catch them everywhere at any time, uh, any place. And and you know, it's, it's tidal rivers. You know, I mean, they're one of the most challenging type fisheries there are. But um, you know, I put in the time to learn how those things, uh, you know, how the fish react to changing tides and, and where to be and when to be there. And, and I do what works for me that might not necessarily work for everybody else. But, um, you know, I've just, I've, I've tried to put in my time to be, uh, consistent across the board as opposed to, you know, God, I'm looking forward to this one tournament this year and I, I hope to win that one, but I just want to be like, how can I cash a check in every single event and be sure I'm at the Bassmaster? Heck yeah, it's a great strategy. Yeah
1: the opposite of a, of a one trick pony.
2: (laughs) And now there's some one trick ponies now that have made some killer careers in our industry, but Mm -hmm. it has changed. Electronics has changed fishing. And, and what I mean by that is, is, you know, 20 years ago, if you could put a jig 25 foot up under a dock and the guy behind you could only put it five foot up under that dock, it's a big difference. That was the difference maker. Now, not much, you know, so, um, the mechanics are still important at the top level. But being proficient with electronics and being more versatile with your techniques and your approach and how you apply them and when you apply them uh, will, will will make you a lot more consistent angler.
0: Right. And speaking of that, you like seven, eight years ago, you could have something that you found out yourself and you might have it a few, you know, for a few years before somebody starts catching on. But like you mentioned with technology now, I mean, you figure something out. You do it in a tournament, especially on fast live, and the whole country's gonna know about it. And doing it next year you'll, you'll
2: have it for about an hour now. <laughs> yeah.
0: Literally it doesn't last long—that's for sure. Um, but after, I'm just—I'm curious, talking about and selfishly curious here, talking about the St. Lawrence River. Um, how, what was that adjustment like? Because, like, obviously, every, everyone from the north, I mean, really, unless you're from New York, I mean, St. Lawrence River is a, a special fishery. I think the only thing that might come close to is maybe the St. Clair, the Detroit River. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that adjustment like coming up north with that much current with smallmouth in that deep of water?
2: Well, the good thing is they're smallmouth, so they're not quite as challenging to catch. <laughs> Pretty
0: stupid, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I'm just saying. You can, you can ask any guy out there, and you ask me, is a smallmouth in the Saint Lawrence River harder to catch, or is a large mouth in Lake Norman harder to catch? And and then you, can it, but I mean, that being said, <laughs> that it was the biggest challenge for me because when I got, I heard it had current, but I didn't know it had a two mile an hour current. You know, I out there in the middle of the river, and I'm like, you know. I, how the hell am I gonna catch a bass? I mean, I can't even like like I I, I was like spun out for the first couple hours. Then I was like Canterbury and I room together and he's like, Yeah, just throw your drop shot out there with a half ounce sinker and just let the let the current just push you and want to grab it. <laughs> so I started doing it. And I mean, I had two bites like pretty quick, and I'm like, Oh, okay, I get it. You know, so I mean it was I think I mean, obviously there's current scenes and, and island heads and things like that you can fish to get out of it, and you can catch a lot of fish in those places, but um some of the biggest fish live out in the middle of that river, and I think just just overcoming that little mental hump that I had about this current's ridiculous, I got to gravitate to the bank and get out of it, you know. So, um, I you know, one, I think once I overcame that little, like I said, that little mental challenge, it was it was it was good from there, and I had my confidence change. But um, yeah, it, it was that's an awesome fishery, man, and there's a lot of opportunity there, and I'm excited about going back this year because we're going to be there a little bit earlier, which I think will open up some more. Some more water, some more uh, options, and and uh, you know there's guys that call them shallow, guys that call them deep. last time we were there, but I think this year it could be even better, and, and one of the one of the one of the best tournaments we've seen.
0: Yeah, up there. I think earlier the better when, it, especially when it comes to a fishery like that, or like when especially when you have you know access to like Lake Ontario the earlier the better. And I mean that because it you means know, usually typically means colder water temps, and that usually you know deep smallmouth you want to have colder water temps just for the pure safety of the fish. I mean, uh, our federation tournament we ran out of there was in mid-August and they knocked it down to the three fish limit for co-anglers and four for boaters for the pure fact of keeping those fish alive with, uh, like, horrible, horrible, like, temps. It's just – it's tough.
2: Well, you know, Bassmaster takes extra steps there. We have a mandatory (laughs) – well, if you had not been there or if you're a rookie, you have a mandatory fizzing class you have to go to. Um, The Bassmaster goes up north – uh, anytime in the summertime, especially St. Lawrence River, um, we have to go through that course, and 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 all our fish, you know, the guys take great care of them. So some of the earlier tournaments there years ago, they had some issues with fish care, but the last couple of times we've been there, it's been phenomenal. But that goes back to the anglers and bass, um, you know, putting in, putting in that extra effort to to make sure that they take care of the the resource, and and that's uh you know like I said, the last couple of years have been great. I mean, I've never I've been there two two years in a row and and uh, never lost a fish.
0: So, oh yeah that's just it's one of those things that's like uh i feel like it's an added variable up here up in the north more than anywhere else i mean i I could be wrong in that but it's just something that and and
1: then like july on kentucky lake you have that issue too right yeah
2: yeah that's yeah absolutely right
0: okay let's see uh adam do you have any thoughts on that before we we start talking about some shallow water stuff
1: uh not necessarily one one thing that i just thought of though. Matt, uh kind of a a completely off topic deal. But did did you I might have heard it on an old podcast, but did you uh play paintball professionally or semi professionally or something like
2: that? (laughs) Yeah, so it's funny because um I did. I actually played uh I'd say almost at the very top level. We used to travel all over the country. We went up to Canada and played. Um we played in some big ten man tournaments back in the day. Uh we played skyball up in Toronto and a lot of the, it, I think it was MPPL then is what it was called. I don't know what yeah. it was. several years, but we went out to LA and San Diego and we've been over to Vegas and played. Um, but I played for a team called Manus Factory Team. We were based out of, uh, well, they were, our players were from basically mostly North and South Carolina. I think we had two out of Virginia, um, but we, uh, the the Manis was actually a company that made, Apparel and paintball packs and things like that and then they, they did some some uh, some jeans and some other other kind of uh, just just regular clothing designs, but they were based out of Michigan uh, Detroit as a matter of fact and they were sponsored. We never I never made any money off of it anything that we won, like we won skyball one year and I actually wasn't at that That but the Nana's the factory won skyball one year they won the Chicago open one year and all that just went back into the team. So that basically just, we didn't have to pay for anything, but we didn't make anything either. So, but it was a lot of fun for, I probably did it at that level for about five years and, and man, I enjoyed it. Great guys too. A lot of good fellowship and a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, I, uh, the reason I thought about that is when when I was younger in middle school and in high school, uh, here in Colorado, we created a, a paintball team and, same kind of deal. I mean, I, we went around in, in high school and got sponsors and everything else, man. And, and we, we competed locally. Um, and then I didn't go, but some of our team went to that tournament in Vegas. Um, and then I just remember following it like crazy. It's just something that's, uh, I can relate somewhat to fishing in, in the standpoint, uh, you know, it's a similar kind of lifestyle. Those guys are all young and want to compete and travel around. And, uh, man, I think, I think you you've done that as well. Interesting. Is that something
0: yeah. where you were in Jersey too? Oh yeah.
2: And we yeah. played Atlantic City, as a matter of fact. We played uh we played in Atlantic City a couple of times.
0: That's so when we get off here, I'm gonna have to look that up on YouTube. I don't think I've ever watched that before. It's, it's crazy. crazy. And then there's like a rushing team. There's like there's
1: like some there's some guys who are really, really good out there. Is there like oh, a
0: championship for it?
2: Yeah, so the World Cup was in Orlando, Florida every year. That was the, the, okay. event the time I was playing.
0: Now is it like an indoor and outdoor thing? Like what it
2: skyball in Toronto was actually all indoors, but a lot of the other events were mostly all outdoors. The paintballs and indoors don't mix real well unless you have the netting and everything that you need. Yeah. You need to really keep it off the walls or whatever.
0: That's such an interesting co- I've never I've never heard of that. I got to look into that. Look at that. Up, tournament, tournament paintball, know, man. That sounds, <laughs> <it's-> <laughs> sounds well, like, like something Right, you hear anglers uh, going out and doing like mini golf and stuff on their downtime for tournaments, and you're probably challenging guys to paintball wars or something, though, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, growing
0: up, like I said, I had two brothers, and we had paintball guns
2: at a pretty early age, and that was the only way I could actually shoot my brothers and get away with it. So <laughs> yeah, that's how I got addicted to it so so young. But both my brothers played competitively too, and and uh, we kind of we kind of branched out. My younger brother actually played with us on the menace factory team for a couple of years so we got to run around together a little bit and um it was uh the last couple of years i played i was still a student at nc state and we practiced down in goldsboro north carolina which was kind of nice it was only 45 minutes from the university there so um but yeah man it's it was a, it was good times and i do miss it i do miss it sometimes it, you talk about an adrenaline rush it's man there's there's nothing like it it's a lot of fun it's fast it's it's why you know it's not like you see these big paintball games out in the woods 10 on 10 whether they're on fifty acres. This is a you know a field that's you know half the size of a football field with ten with ten on ten and inflatable bunkers. And I mean, some of those games would be done in under two minutes, you know, some of them less than that. But you'd think how how to how to you know, how to 10, 12, 15 guys get shot in under two minutes, but you should have seen some of the guns and things like that we were using. <laughs> Adam knows what I'm talking about. I've
0: seen yeah. no,
1: they, is
2: there
1: they, like
0: sniper they, rifle type DL scope? No, no, no.
1: No, these I are, wouldn't are uh, uh, this type of oh, yeah. okay. It's a completely different thing that you're thinking than like the wood. Yeah. And it's, it's like you're, just, huh. you're coming around a bunker just shooting
0: really, really fast. It's
1: it's a lot of fun.
0: So, so like you keep one in the boat if someone's on your hole, like you pull up and you start <laughs> shooting a paintball gun or what? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, sorry so do, about that
1: tangent, Bailey.
0: <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I, uh, I encourage that. I loved it. I, I had no idea. Now I'm probably going to spend the rest of today just researching paintball stuff and see if there's any around here in New York. <laughs> I got to try it one time, dude. That sounds like a lot of fun. But,
1: yeah.
0: but dude, I want to wanna talk a little about shallow water with you because I feel like that's something, I mean, a lot of the times when I'm live, when I watched you on live, you know, like say like a faller, right? And you uh, and Adam and I were actually talking about this offline. Was it you that was, was that was skipping popping frogs under overhanging trees?
2: <clears throat> Excuse me, I did a little bit. Um, I did fish. Uh, so Jake Whitaker, I think, was on a pretty strong frog bite until maybe day three there, and I think his he, he just kind of ran out of fish. And that's a <clears throat> yeah, that was about probably fifty percent of my game plan was fishing shallow with a frog and a jig. All
0: right. Uh, That's just something I feel like I've seen you excel at a lot, you know, reading articles, even from back in FLW days. Um, And so pretending like shallow water, do you have a process of breaking it down? Like, are you more of a search and destroy guy where you're kind of moving to you find aggressive fish or do you kind of pick apart a place where you know, as fish and just break it down?
2: No, uh, as far as the shallow bite, especially that time of year, which is more of a, obviously a There dealer, a lot of fish offshore and brush piles, things like that. So, I knew going into that event. I think the only thing that helped the shallow water bite be as, as strong as it was and last as as long as it did. You know, obviously in the end it, it didn't prevail, but um, th- there was a little bit of a high water situation going on when we were there. There was a lot of brim up shallow, so that all kind of goes into that uh, you know melting pot of what you need in the summertime to to make a to make a good shallow water largemouth bite kind of develop. But um, to answer your question, it was more of a seek and destroy type of deal that time of year. Because, you know, that's not like where there's one laying on a bed every 10 foot going down the bank. It's more of a, I got to cover a lot of water. I got to find active areas. You know, my, the biggest thing that I look for that time of year is uh, you can pull in 25 coves going down, you know, whatever side of the lake. And, and three or four of those coves, for whatever reason, will just be a little bit more alive. It may be cover, forage, uh, bottom composition. And when I say alive, I mean there's, there's just more life in it. There's more brim swimming around the docks. There's bluegill up shallow. You might see a bunch of turtles in there, you know, all kind of vegetation, um, you know, different types of things, kind of all these little details that I look for to, to make a pocket uh, or, or just a main lake stretch of bank to, to have more potential to hold a big largemouth shallow that time of year, as opposed to when they're spawning and things like that, there's different things that you look for. But that time of year, I'm, I'm looking for life, you know, cause that's what a predator fish is looking for. He needs something to eat. And the more, uh, the more of the cover, uh, he has available, the more the, 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 bait he has available, the more the options he has to set up and more reason he has to go in there. I mean, it's kind of common sense if you think about it, you know, sometimes sure. I think fishing is, is hard, I mean, or simple, we make it hard, you know, so <laughs> it's uh but yeah, as far as a, uh, you know, it was very visual for me in practice too. I could see a lot of the fish cruising and, and, you know, I could get a bite here and there to, to give me confidence. But that time of year, I don't write off a pocket where I had one bite in. You know, it, or or if it just had life and no bites, you know, because those shallow fish are moving just like a, just like the deep fish are a lot of times throughout the throughout the summer. They're they're packing up sometimes uh, or they're jumping around from brim bed to brim bed or from dock to dock or grass patch to grass patch or whatever it may be. So, um, you know, looking looking for those little details like we just talked about is, was the biggest key for me that time of year.
0: Right. Just moving as much as you can. Just try to hit as many high percentage areas as you can. Okay. Yep.
2: And and I don't think uh, you know some of the, and Jake Jake to me thinking back on Jake's tournament he had a phenomenal event but he he, he I think he might only weighed in one fish on day three and he did the right thing he kept covering new water and, and that time of year that's that's a pretty key component you got to keep covering water but um, I have seen a few new fish pull up in, in shallow pockets and in places where there were Brent especially there's rim beds present but uh, that time of year I've seen places reload but they don't reload near as well as they do you know, pre-spawn or, or in the fall when they're chasing a bunch of shad or things like that. But that time of year, you got to, you got to keep, keep moving and grooving until you uh, come across some active fish.
0: Right. Is there, is there like a, a telltale sign when, you know, when you're in that mode, right, where you're, you're, like you said, moving and grooving, is there a time when you should, like a telltale sign that you should slow down and really pick something apart?
2: Yeah, I think that just goes back to confidence thing and and, and being being a, 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 a versatile angler, meaning do you, do you have a lot of options and do you have different things on the deck that you can offer a, 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 a fish? I mean, when I say a fish, I mean like a fish <laughs> in scenarios like that, one specific area that, that you feel like should have a bite in it. Um, a lot of times I'll go back through that. You know, I'll go down it with a frog and come back through it um, with a wacky worm, or maybe go back through it flipping a jig or whatever it may be, just being efficient and maximizing that area i think is, is very important so so yeah absolutely awesome if i feel like there's a fish there whether i laid eyes on him or not um you know i'll, I'll go th- i may go through that area with three or four different techniques before i completely abandon it right
0: that's a great point sure. now adam do you have something uh no go ahead bailey oh okay so like my next question is kind of in line with that but like when there's a tournament where you know it's going to be one shallow and obviously there's there's guys that know the same thing everyone's going to be up shallow is there something that or are there, are there details that you think a lot of guys overlook that you try to key in on on something like that when it's definitely going to be a a shallow run fishery
2: Um you know well usually when a, a tournament is one 100% shallow it's typically revolves around the spawn because winning a 3 or 4 day tournament or it's immediate pre-spawn, something like that. Winning a three or four, you can catch shallow fish year-round, but winning a four-day event, 100% shallow. There's real small windows for that, in my opinion, especially with today's electronics. I mean, you guys are catching fish that have never been caught before, never been targeted before because of today's electronics. And, you know, that that goes back to saying, um, let's just say, if you're talking about a spawn situation, which I feel like that's that's probably the most common situation where you could actually win fishing shallow for four days and you feel like the majority of the field might be up on the bank. Um biggest tip I can give you is just just look in those areas that don't look good. Look in those areas that everybody else isn't looking. And don't write off areas because if you pull into an area and you see one fish on the bed, tomorrow you have seven fish on the bed. But that goes back, that even goes back to talking about how alive areas are and, and what kind of transition zones are there. You know, does, does this place have the potential for a lot of fish to move in and out of or does it have the potential for two fish to move in and out of? Meaning are there good, creek channels? Are there good ditches leading into it? Is there a lot of cover availability? You know, things like that. Is there good staging areas? Um, so I think all those, all those components are important, but um, you know, I, I do spend a lot of time, especially during the fall looking in places that I feel like not everybody's going to look, you know, that's, that's a big, so they might not be worth near as many fish as the obvious places, but those one or two fish a day can make all the difference in the end of a four day tournament.
0: Right. I'm trying to find fish that are coming to you rather than leaving the bed and, and going away from you. That's right, and then we've all had those magical
2: times when you get in those even though we really populated pockets where you know there's a bunch of anglers and a bunch of bass, and you you felt like that thing got destroyed yesterday, and you roll up in there the next day of the tournament, and you're like, ah, I'm just gonna go look in there anyway, and there's like 15 new ones laying everywhere, and you know, so that just goes back to keeping an open mind. Don't ever write anything off. You know, I mean, we have our instincts, we have our um, we have our preconceived notions, which we're all guilty of, but. Um, just following your gut and and never, never second guessing anything in your head is the is the most important mission to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of that's trusting your gut, right? Um kind of with what you're saying with the spawn. Just a, a personal story. On, on Clear Lake in a college tournament, I was uh we'd gone into this pocket and there was a buck on a bed, like a two-pounder, and day I think it was day two, we were struggling and we didn't have a good bag and I was like, Well, I'm gonna go pick that fish off get a limit filled and I go back in there and uh, I'm throwing a, a floating jerk bait, and I hook up and I see this fish. I didn't, I didn't, I looked down at it and I'm like, Oh man, that's like a, it's like a five. Is that, is, Oh, I thought it was, I, I thought it was following my jerkbait and it was following the seven that, I, that ate my jerk bait. And then I look around and there are beds everywhere. I mean, they had just pulled up and just like you're saying, there's seven or eight of them and they were all three to seven pounds. It was incredible. In general, it was crazy, but like two days, you know, I mean, that's just how it goes. They, they weren't there. There was nothing there. There was one buck bass in that, in that coat and just went back to it off a whim. And was like, all right, well, we're going to stay in here the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah.
2: Perfect I've example.
0: D- yeah. I've definitely, I've made that mistake before of, you know, day before a tournament went to, uh during the spawn, went to one of the areas on a, one of our local lakes here where I know they frequent when it comes to spawn, they pull up and I pull up there and, there's nothing over three pounds at all. So I kind of wrote it off and tried to find something different for that tournament day and didn't even check it on tournament day. Lo and behold, the whole wave of females pulled up tournament day and that's how that's where the guys won it. And that's something where it's like, you know, you hit yourself on the head, but you at least learn from it. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great point to cover. But um, one thing I'm curious about, because I struggle with this a lot. And it's, if you have, say during practice, for a tournament, you know, you find an area that's good shallow and you find an area that's good deep and say you, you've ran out of time, right? You don't have another day to go see what that deep spot or shallow spot was like during the other time of the day, right? So say you check the shallow spot in the morning, but you've never, you don't have time to go check that shallow spot in the afternoon. Is there kind of like a, a common knowledge, I guess I should say of you know, if you don't have time to hit that, should you hit that beat spot first, or do you save it for the afternoon, or vice versa?
2: You're meaning if you found fish in both, and you just don't know right. what to do first. Right? You don't know how you have it
0: throughout your day.
2: Yeah, I, you know that that's that can that's a pretty complex question that can have a lot of answers because it, it's kind of it kind of is based on the time of the year and the season and things like that. So there's a lot of things to consider. But um, nice. you know, there's always bite windows, and there's typically a bite window 12 months out of the year, first thing in the morning. So I guess it depends on you know, what were the fish doing when you found them? Were they spawning? You know, were they feeding on shad? Were they up on a shallow point Were they just on a main river bar or whatever. And then the deep fish, was it a big old wad of them that were, um, that were actively feeding? Cause you know, I'm going to, I'm going to answer it and say both. And and that sounds crazy because i you know, at my level, I don't care if it's 25 miles apart, I'm going to go to the one that my gut initially tells me to go to first. And then if it ain't happening, I'm gone, you know, and you're going to know really quick, um, first thing in the morning, there's going to be some light windows and some opportunities that, that, uh, that show themselves, uh, pretty quickly. And, you know, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do both if I can, you know, that's, that's asking a lot, but, um, you know, it, it's it, most, most guys, when they do that on most lakes, it's not like it's going to be a 40 mile run to the next one. If it's five miles, you know, that's nothing. So um, why not sample both, you know, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> if, if, uh, I'm just gonna follow my instinct. I mean, you know, it, it, it that goes back to experience. I mean, if if if, if you're talking about a, a deep school of fish and and there's current in that lake, for instance, like Kentucky Lake or somewhere like that, and you know the current's not going to be running a lot of times. First thing in the morning, those fish are out there suspended and spread out, and you almost can't even find them on your graph. You pull up at one o'clock in the afternoon, and they're they're set up like little tic tacs, a little tight ball, and everything you throw at them, they bite. You know, so um, kind of, you know, that's why I say it's a pretty complex question. It just depends on the right. fish the time of the year. Yeah. That's
0: a good point. Adam, you got anything on that?
1: No, no, it makes a lot of sense. I think that the, the bite window in the morning is definitely something to always remember. It seems like even if it's going to be a nasty cold front the day, the day after there's a reaction bite or something you can get to happen in that first, the first 30 minutes.
2: Yeah. And let's go back to talking about like a, a, a current related situation like the Tennessee river. Cause a lot of guys, and a lot of your viewers, I'm sure fish that type of stuff. Um, you know, when those fish, When they're relying on current to set up and feed uh, a lot of times first thing in the morning there's just not much current if i've got a shallow bite going whether it's going up to the bank going flipping bushes or going to skip docks or or not necessarily skipping docks because a lot of times that gets better later in the day but throwing a topwater throwing a buzz bait or a plopper up shallow or a big walking bait you know a lot of times i'll go up shallow first just because of that current current type scenario but that's just one scenario you know so uh, it goes back to um you know when and where are we talking and, and what kind of bites are they and you know, how the fish position and why are they there and things like that.
0: Right. That's a really good point. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so moving forward, looking into, uh, 2021, I mean, I obviously the schedule is dynamite and it's, uh, it, what are your opinions on the, uh, the Pickwick switch? I mean, what kind of weights do you think we're going to see?
2: I like it. I like it for a lot of reasons. Um, You know one adam mentioned earlier about anytime you get up in the late summer on the tennessee river system fish care becomes uh more crucial um our guys take great care of the fish and so do bass but um when you back it up to march it's going to be zero issue whatsoever uh so march on pickwick i like and the reason i like it is because we've seen ledge tournaments for years and years and years and years and now with the electronics and the guys that are as good as they are at this level it, it, even though we're only 100 boats this year, it's gonna be st- they'll be stacked on top of each other if it was in June on a Tennessee River impoundment. It's just the way it is. Um, 100 good schools of fish on Pickwick, all 100 of them will be found, and all 100 of them will get beat to death. Um, that's just my two cents. Now, will somebody go off the wall and find a backwater pond in June that would have cr- probably John Cox or somebody like that? Yeah, they'll weigh <laughs> in, in 25 pounds, but um, the majority of guys would have been on top of each other off- offshore, but You know i like that switch and the reason i like it's because tennessee river when you go to it in, in march or april um that time of year it really spreads the field out and there's a lot more opportunities and there's a lot more opportunities to pattern fish you know ledge fishing to me is not pattern fishing it's just going out there and find a giant school of bass with your electronics and then having 15 or 20 techniques to offer them and then getting in the right rotation you know it's as simple as that um your timing has to be flawless and and the guy whose timing is flawless and, and is a little bit more versatile as far as what they can offer those ledge fish usually comes out on top of the end. But the sh- uh, March on Pickwick, man, that's a wild card. I mean, anything could, anything could happen. And, I mean, the biggest factor to me is going to be the weather between now and then. You know, if, if, if we get torrential rains in March and there's extreme current and high water, who knows, man? I mean, it, it could be crazy. Um, but, like I said, there's going to be a lot of opportunities, a lot of different ways to catch a fish. I'm as excited as anybody to get to that event and see how it see how it goes down because it, it's going to be and there's going to be some giants. Call. I mean, it's March on Pickwick. There's going to be some giant fish caught. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's that goes to, without saying. Almost for every tournament we have on the elite schedule this year, it's going to be a slugfest type of year. Um, so it it should be it just it should be interesting. Pickwick's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I just think the timing on the whole deal is perfect for it, and I'm I'm really curious to see the weigh-ins and the ratio of green and brown fish.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do think that time of year you're going to see a lot more brown fish than you would have if it was a June tournament, no doubt. All right.
1: Yeah, I think you're going to see some 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 of those big ones, and and also, uh, you know, going to to your point, Matt, with it being not being in the in the summer. I mean, everyone that is has grown up watching bass fishing knows about Pickwick on the ledges, you know, especially in the college deal, right? The college national championships always there. So, so it's the same old story, right? And mm-hmm. so to me, it's going to be super exciting to see it show off the fishery in a different light in March. <clears throat> yeah. Missing.
2: I mean, from a Frank, from a fan standpoint, that's why, Look, I have nothing against us going up north and cracking these big smallmouth bags, and it's a lot of fun. But from a fan standpoint, I've always said when you can watch a tournament, like especially a pre-spawn event, where there's a lot of different techniques, when 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 you got cameras on the top ten guys and nine of them are doing something different, that's that's exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it's it's awesome to watch guys crack four and five pound smallmouth all day on a drop shot, but it can be pretty repetitive. You know, it can be hard to, um, you know, they go from this guy to this guy to this guy and all three of them are drop shot in 25 foot of water all catching four pound smallmouth okay but march and pickwick to your point adam i think it's going to be a lot more fun from a fan standpoint Mm
0: -hmm. yeah educational that's a really good point yeah i every time like adam like you thought you know pickwick ledges right and that's why march is going to be so interesting for pickwick is like Every time I think or some I hear the word Pickwick, all I think about is like KVD and that nine pounder that he got st- that was a ten XD stuck in his hand and he had to have a fan come and remove it from him. Yeah, was that, to, that Toledo? Was that Toledo man?
1: Yeah, band? yeah.
0: I think. Of yeah, it was player. Toledo. So this whole yeah. time i confusing that with Pickwick. Oh, That's embarrassing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you were close, kind of. Well, not really. <laughs> no, not, at all. not even close. I'll take the hit. Well. You- you're thinking
1: about big shad, though. Luckily, and off offshore like that, right? So, what I think of is that the video of those college kids absolutely jacking them with a big magnum spoon, man, offshore back. In. That's absurd to me. I think that's that's what uh, that's what I think of when I think of Pickwick, and I think a lot of that's gone away, or at least has gotten so much more pressured. But man, that was a crazy time when guys could roll up and catch those giants with big baits.
0: Oh man, it's gonna be exciting one, like because exactly to Matt's point, because different time of year. It Like you said, it spreads that field out. That's what's going to be pretty cool about it. But, um, but dude, in, in 2021, I, in other words, not just talking about tournament fishing. Obviously, you have, you know, a podcast wow. with Brian Thripp. Uh That's something, um, you know, that Adam and I frequent as well. So we listen to you guys because, obviously, we want to hear the information you guys put out because you always drop some valuable knowledge for, for anglers that pay attention to it to learn. Um, but for 2021, is there any big plans with the show? uh there's anything coming up outside of just the tournament scene that that's pretty exciting
2: well we, we've we been working on some stuff kind of on the back end uh for the let's talk fish platform that uh, we've been working on it for over a year now and it's just because brian and i's schedules don't click like they used to because we're on separate tours and um you know we've, we've been archiving a bunch of videos and, and we're going to have some more opportunities that's the reason we started our podcast you know we have fun and we, we do it obviously to uh um, to help our brands, to help our sponsor brands. It was another way for us to get out there. I felt like the YouTube video market was getting flooded very fast with turn anglers. So we wanted to do something a little different um, such as y'all. And, and, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, that's what I do now. I, I mean, I, I hardly watch, I, I watch a few YouTube videos and i will be honest, they're, they're all hunting videos <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hunting stuff on YouTube, like the, the hunting public and the seek one guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, those guys rock. And, and, but that, that, uh, I listen to a lot of podcasts when I'm driving and, and we wanted it, we wanted ours to be, um, you know, more engaging. You know, there's a lot of podcasts out there where we're, you know, like y'all's where you you give a lot of good information, you have a good time, you have good guests, but um, with Brian and I's platform, we just, we wanted to be able to engage with, with the fans and and answer questions and get a little more, a little bit more technical, so to speak. And and I think that's, that's, uh, that's, why a lot of the guys and the, you know, we have a lot of repeat viewers and things every week on the live show when we do it on Facebook. And, and that's what a lot of them come back and, and our most positive feedback is, is in relation to, you know, we can't thank y'all enough for answering questions live and, and, and being able to open up a little bit and, and give away those, those, those secrets. And I say it like that, cause there are no secrets in bass
1: fishing anymore. You can, find
2: online, so, um, but we have a lot of fun with it, but yeah, that we got some things in the works to where they'll be, you know, we, we can answer questions on the live Facebook show, but we don't have time to sit there and give a 15-minute seminar on each and every question. But we have done that, and we've logged those videos, and there'll be some access and some opportunity in the future for people to access that information. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's something we're we're very excited about. But it's 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 we we still got a lot lot to work on because because our our schedule is just so hard to get us together and get that content mm-hmm. built and and logged and and, ca- and categorized and everything to where people can have access to it.
0: Right yeah it's got to be difficult scheduling just being just from the simple fact of being on separate trails too i feel like you know the spring summer months are probably the most difficult for you guys when it comes to that
2: they are i mean you know back in the flw tour days in a perfect world we had the exact same schedule but you know i guess of took that for granted for years but you know ever ever since the the, the big break up two years ago it was uh things have changed so
0: right yeah, well, I'll say I, I thoroughly enjoy it. It helps me on uh, my all my road trips. I, I'm a big fan of the show. And I know, like you said, you don't you know, the secrets, right? But uh, And that may be true, but I, I like to listen to it for the pure fact of getting yours and Brian's, like, perspective and the way you look at the, the tournament fishing, because while there might be, everyone knows about panoptics now, everyone knows about certain baits, but I feel like every angler, uh, including you guys, one of the best to do it, there's certain ways that you can approach it that are completely different from the rest of people, and I learned a lot from that. So
2: there are, yeah, and I've learned a lot from Brian. You know, and, and we we do disagree quite often on the podcast. <laughs> um, I should probably, I should probably, I don't know why I'm disagreeing with Brian Thrift, and it sounds stupid, right? But um, there's certain scenarios and certain situations where, obviously, the majority of the time we 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 agree on a lot of things. But you know, he he sees things a little different than I do in, in different situations. It's been fun. Just uh, just being able to pick his brain apart and, and learn how he views things because Brian Thrift was not somebody that would really open up so to speak before our podcast and he's really started to to kind of spill the beans. He's given out the goods. I mean, believe oh, really? it. Or not, if you listen to a bunch of them, Bailey, he's given up some stuff that I was like, did he really just say that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, the, the other night we did. Um, Brian was absent, but when I did uh, one with with uh, KJ and his dad Jeff and. And Jeff is is a renowned bed fisherman, one of the one of the best sight fishermen that that uh, uh from this area, from, probably from the state of North Carolina. And we talk bed fishing secrets and tips and things like that. And they, they there's some good information on that one now, as far as bed fishing is concerned.
0: Yeah, I got that one logged for uh, my run on the treadmill later. That's uh, that's <laughs> yeah. the one you to be listening to. Yeah. Um, well, you, you don't you don't need too many tricks when you're fishing for yeah. those. Out on the bed, though. Oh no, you can just throw a simple hook and they're gonna eat it. It don't matter. <laughs> that's, a, that's a different deal, Bailey. Yeah, red hook. Red one. Yeah. Nah. I've heard some <laughs> guys on other shows talk about or like some guys that come up for BFLs or something, it's like during the spawn months and they're like, Oh, you gotta have the sprit and bait and the small knock go crazy. I'm like, get out of here. It doesn't matter what you have on <laughs> as long as it's got
2: a hook. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a tournament on Champlain one time and uh I had found a bunch of bunch of big brown ones on the bed and and <laughs> Man, I could go down through. I didn't have to pull up there and look at them. I was throwing a little curly tail grub on an eight ounce jig head or a 316 ounce jig head. If it got within five foot of that bed, them suckers were coming to get it. If they hadn't been caught five times, you know. But I mean, a lot of times up north, a lot of guys will catch those smallmouth in practice and weigh them because, you know, up there, the difference between a 3.8 and a 3.14 is a big deal, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've caught, I've been guilty of doing that at Champlain, especially caught a few in practice because I need to know if it was a 3.8. Or three even, you know. So, um, and then go back two days later and catch them. You know, no problem. So, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't buy into the the all these super secret tricks about catching a smallmouth. Like I said, unless he's been caught a hundred times, you know, he's.
0: Crazy. Oh, dude, that's so that's that's commonplace around here, especially on a, like a local trail. It's no secret. I mean, the guys that do well in it are going out and practice, and they're going to catch them specific. They're going out to catch them. They'll catch him, bring him off the bed, weigh him, put on their graph on their waypoint. You know, this one weighed five two. I'm gonna come back here, catch the five two. I'll catch the five eight. There's a big six right there, and then like they have it, they have their weight already recorded, so they already know what's in their bag when they're coming back to weigh in. It's that's what that's a lot of the guy's strategy because you're you're also kind of scaling down on how much time you're wasting when you do it that way too.
2: Let me ask you something, Bailey. You, you you've smallmouth fished. I'm, I'm reversing the podcast. So you see, I'm doing that. I'm starting to start drilling y'all. No, it goes back to learning something from everybody, right? So, no. I, uh, in all seriousness, I have been up to up north, not a ton when they're actually peak spawn. But how many pairs of smallmouth have you seen on the bed in your life?
0: Pair, like male and female? Yeah. There there's specific windows when they come up. I've noticed it's you see it more often than most. Um the bigger bodies of water that are kind of like less pressured, uh like a Cayuga or like maybe like a Seneca something like that, uh there's certain windows when those females would be up there. But what I've noticed is that when the males the males are almost always on the bed, right? Those females aren't far away at all. It's usually so you say so
2: you think a lot of times a lot of those four, four and a half, five pounders that you're catching off the bed by themselves are bucks, all bucks.
0: Oh, there's some yeah, there's a lot of four pounders I think that are males. Okay five five and a half if not six
2: yeah I've had I've always had that question in my mind because in my entire career which I haven't been up north when it was peak spawn I have been to Champlain several times when it was and I've seen one pair of smallmouth together on a bed and I've probably seen you know a couple thousand you know in my career but um I I just I was just curious as to if you've seen them and and how often do you see them
0: I mean you look at you take Ontario, you take Erie, you take a lot of our finger lakes that have giant smallmouth, and you see them on bed, and, like, you look down, like, especially, like, a, a Great Lakes, you look down at that bed, or you look through, like, a flogger, and it looks like there's just two carp sitting on the bed. Like, those males get big. I think, you know, a lot of times, and Champlain's an interesting fishery, because those smallmouth, while you can catch some big ones, it's it doesn't really translate amongst the state, in my personal opinion, from those sizes of the smallmouth. They, they act a lot different up there. At least, uh, what I would like to think. It just yeah. Well, that, that's why you know I,
2: I, I'm just never hitting or hit a lake up north to where I rolled around and found a hundred smallmouth on the bed, regardless of where it was, and fifty of them were pairs. You know, but in the south with mouth, you can go out and find a hundred on the bed and, and given that window, like you're saying. But I've just never seen that window anywhere. I've never seen that window when smallmouth were paired up. Um, all over the place so i've
0: experienced it a good amount and when it is it is really annoying because like unless you have if you're able to put them in a live well that's the best way to go about it is because you catch that male because if you put them back the male's going to go back and by the time you get your bait back in the bed the male's going to eat it again and it's it's extremely obnoxious to try to target that female
1: right I i got you
0: It's interesting. But what I've learned too is like when those males are by themselves, those females aren't far away. They're usually out a little bit pushed out a little bit farther and they're just roaming around doing like figure eights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's interesting.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. You say that Matt, I, I don't think, uh, you know, in, in where I'm at, right. A lot smaller, almost some would say a different breed of smallmouth than where Bailey is. But like, you know, I fished Lake mead one time during the spawn and I think same deal. it was, it was, the smallies were on beds for sure, and I only ran across one pair, I think, at all. You know, everything else was single fish on beds. I, you know, it was pretty rare for me to find where there was two of them. Now there were some cruisers, like you're talking about, Bailey, where maybe that was the female, you know, circling around. But um, yeah, it's kind of crazy how smallmouth are.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think it's super interesting too, just kind of talking about that topic of betting smallmouth. Is one I, I love when you try to target the deeper betting smallmouth around the New York area. Because, like, I'm trying to be vague just in terms I don't want to get you in trouble, Matt, because I know you guys come up here, and I know with the whole information thing. Um, oh, but, yeah. We
2: don't, we don't need to talk about St. Lawrence River. Yeah. Saint- Finger
0: Lakes. Yeah. I'll, go, I'll go Finger Lakes. Well, a yeah, lot yeah, of them yeah. Might, yeah. Get or just smallmouth.
2: You know, we talk yeah. about smallmouth.
0: Yeah. Uh, when they get out deeper and you can't really see them, but you know that there's some smallmouth that are spawning out there, when you take a glide bait up, like, just subsurface, it is so cool to watch because those – those males come up and like it's almost kind of an interesting strategy is you have someone up top attracting those males like in a team tournament getting those males away from the bed and then you have your buddy whoever you're fishing with then target where those beds are it's kind of cool because you see all these males go crazy over this big bait and you'll have a school of them chase it and you have one guy sneaking in the backside to try to get those females to bite (laughs) it's probably worked
2: for me if you drug a fillet down my driveway i'd probably go chasing it and leave everybody else here
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But yeah adam do you have any uh, any more questions for for matt before we uh hit him with the last two
1: yeah i guess my last question would be uh what are you most excited for in 2021 whether it be an event uh you know kind of seeing all these big changes in the industry but what's your what are you most excited for the upcoming year
2: Oh man, you know, just just I'm um, honestly I'm I'm humbled and thankful every, each and every start to a season that I get to live my dream and and do this professionally because you know ever since I was six seven years old I literally wanted to be a professional bass fisherman and just to be able to keep doing it is is what I'm looking forward to the most. But there is a you know if we got to narrow it down you know there's one particular lake on the schedule here that. It's probably one of the hands down, one of the arguably one of the best big bass fisheries in the U.S. for a lot of reasons. But Texas Parks and Wildlife has probably done um, so much for that lake over the years with the slot and things like that. And I feel like the time that we're going there is going to be. Um, I mean, there there's still some some things that could that could kind of make it a little screwy, like weather and things like that. But um, third week of April at Lake Fork in Texas, and I mean it 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 could flat go down, and I mean there could be there could be record shattered there could be multiple double-digit fish i mean and i say multiple i'm talking 10 15 20 double digit fish caught in this event you know um and it's going to open things up you know we've been to fork when they're all out deep i fished a couple of ttbcs there in the past when they were all out deep and and you know at this in april at fork you know anything goes i mean there'll be giant glide dates in play there'll be frogs in play there'll be sight fishing in play there'll be you know, flipping, punching things in play. There'll be, uh, there might even be some little secondary deals going on. It'll be a lot of fun, and there'll be a ton of giants caught. I can guarantee you that.
1: Thank
2: you. Awesome. Uh, it's you know, it's the Bass Classic format where we have our marshals out there, so that protects us from that slot where we can, you know, Lake Fork is chock full of four to seven pounders that are slot fish, you know, and we can we can weigh those because it's a weigh and release deal in that particular tournament. Um, so we're not we're not restricted to to only weighing in overs or, or unders. Interesting.
0: That's gonna awesome. be a cool event to watch. Definitely. Be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So so wrapping up, I have two questions left for you. Um, more kind of fun questions to, to wrap things up and, and end our show here. Um, and the first one is, I know you're a longer hunt guy, and uh, my co-host Andrew actually asked me to ask this um, uh, because obviously he's not able to be here today, but. Because you're a longer hunt guy, he's asking if you've ever thrown the spider in a competitive format.
2: Not in a competitive tournament. <laughs> I, have I have thrown it in uh, in some local farm ponds and things like that, and it is a fun, fun, fun lure to throw and play around with, no doubt. Um, right. But you know, I have not honestly. The and I'll be honest. I mean, it's a cool bait, and the, and it catches. It'll catch a big fish, uh, especially in in your pond situations, given the right scenario. But um, and I've used it to scare the crap out of thrift on our pond. <laughs> <laughs> I love it for that. especially the uh, the widow maker uh, the, the the one that looks like a black widow you know that's that's probably my favorite uh, the hooks the hooks in it and it's because of the way that the base design um you know i i when i'm fishing braided line and and, and hollow body weedless type baits like that you know i i want to be able to absolutely just lay into them and and with the hooks that are in that spider. it it makes, I got to be careful, you know, because as hard as I set the hook on braided line up in a grass mat, you know, I I don't want to, I can't afford to, to, uh, to lose a fish in in a tour level event, but it is a lot of fun to play with and and toss around the farm ponds and things like that too.
0: Heck yeah. (laughs) It's such an interesting bait because you don't see anything like it on the market like that.
2: No, no, not many spiders out there. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, so, yeah, my last question for you to wrap things up, obviously, like we mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show, you're new. Uh, and everyone who's new to the show, uh, we like to ask this specific question. Um, and that is, if you could sit down and invite three different individuals, have a steak, have a beer, and pick their brain, who are you going to invite and why? They don't have to be fishing industry, and they could be alive a thousand years ago, or they could be alive now. It doesn't matter.
2: Oh, well um man <laughs> oh boy that's a tough one uh makes you think it really does and uh you know there's obviously obviously mine a lot of mine would be probably fishing related I mean back to the time I was born it's all I ever thought and dreamed about but um you know I would uh I'm not going to say thrift because he just lied to me he wouldn't <laughs> are, they, are they are they Are do they have to tell the truth is that part of it <laughs> just whoever you <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna say, uh, um, gosh, Ronald Reagan. He'd be one. Heck yeah, just one of my idols and, and probably my all-time favorite president since I've been alive. Um, you know, he he definitely be right there top of the list. Um, gosh, man,
0: it could be two people who you invite for a good time too. Anything along those lines. Oh, as far as you know, going out to party, I'm gonna throw
2: James Watson in the mix.
0: <laughs> um, okay.
2: Always a good time. Always fun to be around. And uh, you know, as far as somebody that I'd want to sit down and and really, really pick their brain, uh, Aaron Martin's. That's and he's all been in our, in our thoughts a lot lately, obviously, and in, in, in our prayers. But um, he is probably one of the most well-rounded and technically sound fishermen on the planet. And the guy has, has, I mean, he's done stuff that years ago that, that were just a, you know, not even a thought in most of these pros heads nowadays. And, and he's, he's exposed us to a lot of techniques and, uh, and a lot of different approaches and different mindsets about bass fishing in general um, that I, I, that I think uh, that I think would be an eye opener. And I I love to pick his brain about some of those.
0: It was really awesome to see, uh, the tournament that he came back from and had the, I think I believe the Marshall had to drive the boat for him. Uh, I yeah. say, was that Sturgeon Bay? that.
2: I think so. It was a BPT event. I think it was, I think it was Sturgeon Bay if I'm not mistaken. And I think he had a pretty good van if I, if I, if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, it was so cool. Cause I think a lot of people watched that one cause that was like his return. And, uh, it was so cool to watch him when he was back and he was catching fish, just like the, the raw, just emotion and passion that you could see out of him. That, that's what I thought was so cool. And just was like the dude just never stops talking, which is hilarious. I love listening to podcasts with him on It's because the, the host of the show maybe says three words throughout the entire show. And it's like Aaron <laughs> to take it and run. It's just you can listen yeah. all day.
2: He's definitely one of the most gifted and most versatile anglers and really thinks outside the box. And that goes back to talking about being open-minded and things. The guy probably thinks outside the box better. A lot of us think outside the box, but if if what we think outside the box isn't efficient on the water, it doesn't matter, right? But when he thinks outside the box, it it wins tournaments. You know, it wins Aoy titles. It does crazy, crazy things. I mean, finished second in the Classic how many times? And um, obviously a phenomenal angler. And, uh, man, yeah, I'd love to have an opportunity to sit down and, and have, about you know why he he has certain approaches to certain situations.
0: Heck yeah, it's awesome. a Adam, good one. Anything left for for Matt, before I let him go here.
1: No, I like I like his uh, guest choice. I think uh, it'd be interesting to watch James Watson and uh, Ronald Reagan in Iraq. But it, I think uh, I, you
2: said you said I could go party with Watson. I could go sit down and talk. I don't want to put those two together. Yeah. Don't do that. President Reagan. And then,
0: uh, and then Watson can, he can wait over here and then we'll go party afterwards. (laughs) I got you. go. (laughs) I like it. Well, uh, Matt, we want to say thank you for uh, taking the time out to, to join us. We super appreciate it. I've learned a lot from you and I'm sure Adam has as well. And obviously everyone watching or listening can say the same, but uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your day and that we'll be rooting for you this coming season. And, uh, we hope to have you on again down the road.
2: All right, guys. I appreciate y'all having me. Appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my time with you.
0: Heck yeah. We'll be uh, rooting for you at the St. John's. Go get them. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Have a good one, Matt. All right, Matt. Take care. Dude, that was, <laughs> could you imagine Ronald Reagan, James Watson, and Aaron Martin's at a table? No. When he said
1: that, I started laughing so hard. I just, the level of professionalism of like a Ronald Reagan and James Watson yeah. He's a great dude, but just like,
0: you no know, you know. Such an interaction. yeah. Just like James, stop. You're embarrassing me. You're embarrassing <laughs> me. This is my time. We, we've had James on the show before and it was uh he was crammed, but he took the time out to come on here. And it was like for 20, 30 minutes when he was on the road, he pulled over to talk for a while. And, I hope to get him back on here a little while for a time when he actually has some downtime. That would be cool to really, really dial in on uh, whatever the heck that man thinks. <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Who knows? Crazy, but, dude. dude, you got anything cool coming up or anything exciting coming up in the works for this season?
1: Yeah, man. Fishing-wise, uh, I signed up for the uh, Toyota Series Central or no, the Plains Division is what they're calling it, uh, as a boater. So that'll be kind of a step for me. I haven't fished at that that level as a boater. Um, I'm excited for that. So the first one's on Lake of the Ozarks the first week of March. So uh, plan on probably throwing an A-rig and a jerkbait and a, and a jig. Uh, for what I understand, it's been pretty clear out there, and it's been a mildish winter. So um, I think it'll be really early pre-spawn, so I'm excited to go fish that. Um, on the boater side and then just fascination, all that kind of stuff coming up. And, uh, I'd like to, I'm in the works on, on trying to figure out if I'm going to fish the Toyota series up North or the opens up North, but I know that everything's been so like getting reserved, you know, so fast. I'd like to fish that as a co, uh, I've never spent any time on any of those, those big Northern lakes. So I'd like to kind of like going back to what Matt was saying. Um, expand my reach as a co in just different parts of the countries where I don't feel comfortable. I've never been mm-hmm. and just have that progression to get to the point where, you know, you want to make a run at it or something on the open side uh, as a boater or that kind of a thing in the future.
0: Heck yeah. Uh, that's a great way to learn. And that's, that's something uh you know, first for the Northerns like, like I mentioned, traveling with Destin is going down the James river or somewhere, somewhere I've never been to a title fishery. I've never been on a title fishery. Yeah that's going to be an interesting experience in itself. And it's, it's just one of those things where, you know, you start and just start keep expanding and the co-angler is a great way to do it.
1: Absolutely, man. It's a, it's just a process. That's all it is, you know I mean? And it, and it's just a matter of uh, you know, learning all, all, all that you can behind someone I think is a, is a good route to do it.
0: Heck Yeah. 100% dude. Any, uh, anything, anything left for the folks here uh, before we sign off today?
1: No, man, I guess, uh, just, just check out if you're interested in kind of the industry side of things and, uh, folks that start companies in the fishing industry, um, business from the Bass Boat podcast, guys, it's a, um, learning experience for me and, and everyone else. I'm I'm bringing some value to some folks about how, uh, how people go and create businesses in the industry.
0: Heck yeah. Yeah. And, uh, if you guys want to whoop up on, uh, Adam and I and some Bassmaster, uh, fantasy fishing, be sure to go join our group, uh, Adam and I have been bouncing some ideas of doing a fantasy fishing show uh, prior to these tournaments, doing some, you know, some previews and recaps uh, for these different tournaments coming up. Obviously, from a from a fantasy fishing side. Um, so, if you guys are interested in that, it's something we're definitely talking about. But let us know if there are certain topics you guys want us to cover beyond just what our picks are be are going to be um, and what our uh, you know predictions for how that tournament's going to go is going to going to shape out. So it's, it's going to be exciting. I, uh, I'm looking forward to having those shows with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we're going to, we're going to try to mix it up with some different guests as well. Uh, to try to get some different viewpoints for it, depending on each show, maybe get some regional anglers on for each tournament coming up and, and see what, uh, we can mix up with the folks.
1: Absolutely, man. I'm excited for it. It's going to be a blast. Uh, I'm, I'm a fish head like you are, and we just follow this stuff so much that it's like, Man, I wanna I wanna beat everyone else in the fantasy fishing because I feel like I I know a lot, but then you know you pick someone and you, they let you down. So I don't know, it's, it's gonna be inside
0: of you. <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> a couple of the guys that I'm close with, it's like it's like a struggle to pick them for fantasy fishing. It's like I want to give them crap, you know, if they don't do well afterwards. And it's like, but I'm also like pissing them off. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> like, hey, yeah, you screwed me over. Like, yeah, no kidding. Well, I didn't win. I didn't cash a check. So thanks for rubbing it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think that's going to do it for today. A great show with Matt Airy. Um, Hope everyone enjoyed it. And uh, we'll see everyone on Monday.
1: Absolutely.